Hello and welcome back to the True Crime Guys podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. How's everybody doing? Welcome back. Uh, we had a Patreon exclusive episode last week. That's why That's you right. didn't hear an episode if you're uh, just on the free platform. That's right. We missed uh, we you have guys. A lot, uh, we have some exciting announcements in regards to Patreon. There's never been a better time to sign up than coming up in March where we're going to get all of our content on one tier, the $5 tier. You're going to get everything. So we'll talk yes. a little bit more about that later on. Absolutely. And that's going to be March 16th, guys. So look out for that drop date. Yeah. Um, But as for this week, we have a a really fun episode. We tackled a true crime documentary on Netflix and a lot of interesting topic uh, discussions to be had about this case. There's a, you know, an amazing singer songwriter, one of the best of his generation that was uh, murdered. I guess you could say it was went down as a justifiable homicide, but it's definitely got some questions surrounding it. And there's been a lot of, uh, people that have speculated that this was a, a setup that he was taken out because he was too vocal. He was a black right. man in the fifties and mm-hmm. you know, his death is a little suspect. So we're going to examine it, look at it, talk about the documentary and it should be a fun episode. Absolutely, man. Let's get into it. Let's do it.
All right, for our case this week, we are covering Sam Cooke's uh, death. I mean, I guess you could, as we said, it went down legally as a justifiable homicide, um, mm-hmm. not a murder. There was very little investigation done on the police's part following his, his murder or death. Right, um, right. Very little. Yeah. Um, and the documentary that we got was called The Two Killings of Sam Cooke, which has been remastered and put on Netflix. Do you know when it was originally made? Um, I couldn't find that. I just, you know, once Netflix puts their name on it, it's kind of... Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, actually. And a lot of the... But a lot of the people interviewed seem like they were more recent. So yeah. is part of the remastering also getting new interviews with current artists and whatnot? I don't know. I mean, it could have been made in, it, you know, in the in, in the 2010 to 2020 range. And still, that's what I'm about those to say. Those people would have still be. been older, you know. It doesn't look that old to me. It doesn't look old no. enough to be remastered. Maybe they just meant the original footage was remastered because there was a lot of original oh. footage of Sam's funeral, um, mm-hmm. stage performances, interviews with Sam. There's a yes. lot. Yeah, there's a lot of video of him, even though right. you know you're talking the time periods were the 50s and early 60s. Right, right. So, but the the video quality of that stuff was pretty damn good, and audio I mean, quality was good as well. Which yes. usually that's more of an issue than the video back then. So, Right, so that's probably what they were really referring to as far as the remastering. Yeah, man, what a, what a great musician though. His voice was, dude, iconic, iconic, dude, absolutely. You know, you know what I couldn't help but notice was that when he talked, you know, because there were literal interview snippets of him mixed in throughout the documentary, and every mm-hmm. time he talked, I couldn't help but think, man, his tone and his delivery sounds so much like Michael Jackson. Mm. You know, I wonder how much Michael Jackson took from Sam Cooke. Yeah. Um, as a child, because he would have been watching Sam Cooke on television, you know, mm-hmm. at the beginning of his career. Yeah. So it's it's just interesting the way that both of them talked. They talked so soft and eloquently. Their voices were so similar and also so... I don't think that's a coincidence. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. There's something about their voices that were so similar. Both yeah, that's a good, that, that is a good point. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable voice. Um so Samuel Cook was born on January 22nd, 1931 in Clarksdale, Mississippi. Shares right a birthday with Logic and Guy Fieri. Dude, that's the day before my birthday. Right on. I'm 23rd. Oh, shit. Yeah. Logic and Guy Fieri. Nice. What a crew. Love it. What a crew. Love I it. Like Guys, crew. dude, I, 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 it's pretty sad how much I love the Guy Fieri and Diners, Drive-Ins, <laughs> and Dives. When I'm just hanging out on a Saturday or Sunday and I don't really want to sit down and watch TV, but like, let's yeah. say I'm like cooking lunch or something. I, I will have that show on all day. Like as I'm in and out of the house doing work in the yard, I'll just have that damn show on and then I'll stop and watch it for a few minutes. And Guy Fieri cooking show? The, no, the, the diners, drive-ins and dives. I'll just, because oh, okay. usually there'll just be like on, on certain channels, it'll just be on all day. Like whatever cooking oh, channel wow. it is. I didn't know that about you, man. I didn't know you enjoyed Guy Fieri that much. It's a, well, the show wow. is just a perfect show. I like, I love the aspect yeah. that they're in a different town. Every so, like you get a little taste of each city that he goes to, and then yes. like, different types of food that they and how they make the food. I like to watch how they make it because I like an organic style of cooking where you don't use recipes where you just throw shit together. And like I like yes. to learn the principles of cooking, which is uh, my cousin that lived with me for a couple of years uh, as a roommate. I, I learned a lot of like good cooking principles from him. You know how to make gravy, how to make a roux, like all these certain things. Like once you learn certain principles of cooking, you can cook anything. Yes. You, know, you don't need re- need to lean on recipes. You learn to just taste the food and see what it needs based off of that. Like so, I like to watch real chefs work and, and try to l- pick up on some of that stuff. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, I love shows like that too, like Anthony Bourdain show. Yeah, um, yeah. Just rest shows in peace, where, man. That was a bummer. 
Yes, rest in peace, absolutely. But any shows where they travel to different places and try the mm-hmm. cuisine and, you know, try out the culture. And I love shows like that, man. I could get lost yeah. in those. Like you say, uh, they're just, they're, they are nice to kind of have on in the background, but you also... You also can get caught up in them. Another one that you would not suspect is River Monsters with Jeremy Wade. Do you ever my, watch that show? My wife is obsessed with that show. Bro. She actually like has a crush on that dude for some reason. She likes like really like manly men. It's, <laughs> it's his voice, man. <laughs> it's his voice. Yeah. You know, his voice is so calming and confident, but yet like loving and sentimental i don't know how to describe it he's got he's got an amazing yeah it's, it's like he's like a like therapy sh- session while he's it's kind of like steven ranella and when you watch meat eater you know at the same time it's like he's hunting but he's also like giving you life lessons throughout it right yeah yeah i guess there's just a lot more time for life lessons during those things like hunting and fishing because there's so much downtime <laughs> Right. Well, that's yeah, you that's, gotta have, that's why it's so nice to go on a hunting or fishing trip with like a family member, your dad, your whatever. Yeah, somebody like, you really like to talk truly to. quality time. Like there's no technology, you're just, you know, you're just out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. So back right, to the case. Back, yeah, back to yeah, Sam here. Sure. So Samuel Cook uh when he was born spelt C O O K, his last name. He later adds an E to it, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Right, but, he invents uh, himself. Yeah, born in Clarksdale, Mississippi. So born in the South in 1931 as mm. a black child during Jim Crow. You know, rough the, time, dude. Rough yeah, time. His they, family they, did it did right by getting out of there. Yeah, they chose to to leave very soon after, which is probably a good decision, and it allowed Samuel, you know, the chance to thrive in a city that accepted him more. Absolutely. He would later be, later become known as the King of Soul. And as we just mentioned, uh, his family would relocate to Chicago uh, with, you know, at, the, at a young age as they saw mm-hmm. what was going on in the South, um, giving them more opportunity. Um, and he thrived as a child singing in church and would later join the Soulsters uh, as lead singer in the 1950s, filling the big shoes of R.H. Harris, who was yeah. the lead singer at the time. And he was only 19 years old when he fills these shoes and becomes the lead singer of this, this well-known band. Right. Um, Imagine being R.H. Harris, being like, what? Who's taking my place? <laughs> yeah. R.H. himself R. H. himself would later be inducted into the Hall of Fame, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1989. Oh, yeah. So that, that's... I, I mean, an amazing vocalist in himself. But yeah. I, feel, I feel like they thought that Sam was the next generation he was a rising of star. the Soulsters. When right? they started was, traveling around to different churches, yeah. they, they it was literally like the Beatles were coming. Oh, God. Yeah, man. That's that was where it's at. So many people, so many musicians start in church, you know, especially yeah. especially in the mid 1900s. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? A lot of them start in church. I can relate in this. This is that's where I started singing. That's where I started singing. That's where I started playing guitar. You know, against my will. <laughs> people yeah, are like, and oh, unfortunately, a lot of those song. churches. Unfortunately, a lot of those churches wanted that to be it, like start and end here. Like you don't you don't yes. go beyond this because this is right. God's music and. He started yep. branching out into the rock world, and the, there was some naysayers to that whole thing. And he actually like briefly put out an album out, uh, under a different name for that reason. But it's pretty interesting yeah. to think about. I understand that pressure a hundred percent because anything because yeah. you're told like when you sing in church, you're you're told that anything that doesn't glorify God is glorifying Satan. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like that's there. That's it. It's that's black and white. There's lines. no gray area, right? Absolutely not. And I was also told as a kid, and I'm sure Sam was as well, that if you don't use your gifts for God, he'll take them from you. Oh, shit. Like, that scary. kind of shit t- terrifies you. Yeah, you're like, well, God, I guess I, I guess I better keep singing for God then. I don't want to not be able to sing at all. Like, right. this is, that's terrifying. 
Yeah, you sing one one rock song, and the next morning you wake up and you can't talk. Boom, can't talk. Tongue's gone. It's over. That's how it, that's how it works. Yep. <laughs> so Sam's first marriage was to a singer-dancer named Dolores Cook, uh, oh, Dolores Milligan Cook, who took the stage name of Dee Dee Mohawk in 1953, and they would later divorce in 1958. So he'd be married a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, a year after their divorce, uh, him and his first wife, she was killed in an auto accident in Fresno, California. And although they were divorced, um, Sam paid for his ex-wife's funeral expenses. In the 1950s, uh, in 1959, the infamous murder of Emmett Till happened. And this kind of, these events kept happening and it's kind of, you could see Sam slowly morph and become more and more outspoken, Mm -hmm. which was pretty dangerous thing to do at the time. No doubt. But also the fact that this, this one right here just kind of put him over the over the edge, this Emmett Till lynching, mm-hmm. because it happened in his home state. You know, he felt like that's my yeah. people. Like I know I left as a child, but this is where I'm from, and this is where a lot of my people and family. This could have is. been. He, he's probably thinking this could have been me. Easily, easily, easily. I mean, it was such a such a benign thing that Emmett, you know, supposedly did, and it was it ended up getting him lynched. You know, just merely even like looking or talking at a white woman, and he was 14, which 14. I, I kind of neglected to remember that like you know you hear the name Emmett Till it sounds like a man to me but he was 14 you see the pictures he was a child and completely disfigured beaten lynched yeah just disgusting it it absolutely is and you can see how Sam couldn't couldn't pass this he couldn't he couldn't just let this go and just go on to Hollywood well he had a platform yeah he had a platform he felt like he had a responsibility and he never he never forgot about the South which was very impressive because he could have easily you know, just went the other route of a lot of other, you know, rich and famous African-Americans at the time who, once they got to that that level, they were just part of the rich and the famous. You know? Yeah, and they would probably mostly just perform in the North. And Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm not going down there. Yeah, Sam, Sam, was still, Sam was still touring in the South, and he would get reminded when he would go down there of how different it was. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like, they were still doing segregated audiences. Like, if he would perform... It would be, you know, blacks up top in the nosebleeds, essentially, and whites down below, or they would just split it straight up, split them. Yeah. So on one side of the uh, auditorium, it would be whites, and the other side would be blacks. And he, at a certain point, said, "I'm not performing if that's the way it's going to be. I won't perform at your venue." Yep. And that was when he had a huge name. Oh, I know, I know. He almost shut down a damn concert. I think it was in yeah. Arkansas, somewhere around there. Yep. And he, uh, yeah, he he was like i'm not performing if the crowd is segregated and all of the other performers who were all black people as well they all performed and but what sucks because the irony that that, they're there to see a black artist you know know. and yet they're still like it's crazy you know putting putting the whites in the better seats and things like that it's just crazy but it just goes to show you the mindset of the other like i say the other people who were who had the same platforms you know maybe they weren't the headliners but they still had platforms they still had they still had clout in their community, and yet they still chose to take the easier way out. They, it's like imagine if all of these people who said they were going to stand with Sam actually stood with him. How how much more different mm-hmm. would this be? You know what I mean? How much more impactful would it have been if all of the other performers didn't go out there as well? That's how it is, man. It takes you know people have to stand up together. Yeah, absolutely, it's difficult. So while being the lead singer for the Soulsters, Sam began sneaking off to attend rock shows. 
Um, and this is where you hear the quote in the documentary of the mindset uh, of churches back then was uh, either you're going to sing God's music or you're going to sing the devil's yep. music. Still the mindset. And so it, <laughs> because of this, he when he released his first pop and soul single called Lovable, um, it, which was a remake of the gospel song Wonderful, yep. he released it under the alias of Dale Cook in order to not alienate his gospel fan base. That's so that's However, so you know... <laughs> His voice was so iconic, and like it, it's just he wasn't fooling anybody. Right. <laughs> like everybody knew it was Sam's him. You know, brother? he's yeah, using yeah. the la- the same last name first of all, and then you hear his voice, and it's like that's clearly Sam. Right, Cook. right, right, right. Oh my god! <laughs> I was gonna say something. Um, then going, and then going solo in 1957 is when he added the E to his last name to signify signify a new start to his life. Mm-hmm. So him kind of converting into rock and roll and soul which rock and rolls when you hear the music that was considered rock and roll in the 50s it's it's like you know very elvis-esque it's yeah not what you consider it's rock like and roll little richard era. chuck berry you know elvis yeah. yeah it's not like rock it's not like hardcore rock by any means right, right? It's just rock right. it was just such a conservative society back then that just elvis merely shaking his hips was like not even allowed on television right so vulgar oh my god it's really it's crazy to think about that like every tv show back then like the the uh the uh the spouses had different beds yeah i also love that the uh like the church got upset about him like redoing lovable and making it wonderful you know and like changing changing the song basically that was about god to making it about a girl right Mm -hmm. but the the irony in that is most of the hymns that that people sing in church and even in predominantly white churches and Southern Baptist churches and stuff, those hymns that you're singing didn't start out as hymns. They started out as like slave songs and different like plantation songs and chants and things like that that got turned into mm-hmm. popular hymns. It's like, well, you as Christians stole music, so... So they're being hypocrites. Yeah, yeah you see what I'm saying? So what does it matter yeah, if he yeah. wants to take a quote-unquote Christian song and make it secular when you guys have been doing the the opposite this whole time <laughs> right it's silly to me dude 100% yeah but this yeah so this is where he adds the e to his last name though right yep yep okay yeah so when he went solo in 1957 to get a new start he put he adds the e to his last name and he later admitted that he got an endorsement for a career in pop music from the least likely man, his pastor father. Mm-hmm. Quote, my father told me it was not what I sang that was important, but that God gave me a voice and a musical talent, and the true use of this gift is was the way to share it and make it hap- make people happy. Right um, on. And so so adding that E to his last name, he sought a fresh start in pop music rather than just singing in church. Man, what a progressive father. And this turned out to be a hell of a decision for his career because yeah. he takes off and becomes world-renowned after this. Oh, you know it. You know it, dude. His audience just expanded to literally everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So in 1957, Sam appears on the a- on ABC's The Guy Mitchell Show. That same year, he signed with Keen Records. Uh, his first hit, You Send Me, spent six, six weeks at number one on the Billboard R&B chart. Um, the song also had mainstream success, spending three weeks at number one on the Billboard Pop chart. Mm and elevated him from earning $200 a week to over $5,000 a week. Damn, that's good money. In in, in 1950s, dude, that's so much money right now. I can't even imagine in 50s, like, you could literally buy a house for five grand. I know, right? And he was making Probably a a few houses for five grand back then, to be honest. (laughs) He was making $5,000 a week, man. He was balling. The music business was so lucrative. Imagine Imagine what his record company was making off him. 
I was going to say that's, that's what they gave him, which means they must've been making like a hundred grand a week, you know, cause you know, they only give you a fucking peanut. That's really, this is just another story to me. Like there's obviously more elements to it because you know, his color and stuff like that. But the music industry is dirty. We could do so many cases like this where there's a suspicious death of an artist, Jimi Hendrix, Kurt Cobain. Yep. And they they screw them over throughout the most of their career. And then finally, when they get vocal and try to make their own money and like start their own label or whatever, that's when they get killed, you know? Yep. Yep. So often. Absolutely. They're getting too powerful. Um, yeah. So Sam would soon release a string of hit songs. And a lot of these, he's, he's writing, is he writing all of these songs or just some of them? Because he was also a prolific songwriter as well, which is I'm rare. sure he's writing most of these. Uh, like A Change Is Gonna Come, definitely Chain Gang. Yeah. That's one of his, Twisting the Night Away. Yeah. Um, he, I know he wrote those, but I mean, I'm sure he collaborated with some of these. And some of, I know mm-hmm. there were a few singers that also sung in the gospel circuit that wrote secular songs as well. You know, they want yeah. they want to get their names on those things as well. So I'm sure some of the soul stirrers probably helped influence some of these songs, if not write them. Yeah. But he, yeah, he was an amazing songwriter as well. And like trying to sing his songs and cover his songs, you don't see it very often because God damn, trying to sing like that. It's hard to beat it. It's hard to beat the way he man, did it, right? Yes, it really is. Like, it's like you listen to "You Send Me." Good luck doing it better. Like the way that he, the just the, the cadence to which he sings. It's yes. Like if you like in the documentary, perfect. he covered uh, "Blowing in the Wind" by Bob Dylan, and it's just a totally yeah. different song. Like when he sings it, you're like, "Holy crap!" It's like I recognize this, but damn, I ain't never heard it like this before. It's crazy to think how long Bob Dylan's been around. When you think about that, oh, I know, I know. Because Sam Cooke's been dead since, what, 1962 or something? Yeah, like, Bob Dylan's still here. <laughs> He's yeah, still man, here. It's wild. Like, <laughs> he co- like Sam covered a Bob Dylan song, and he's been dead for 60-something 60, 60 years now, Sam Cooke. Yeah. Bob Dylan is so tied into musical history, it's ridiculous. We could yeah. probably do tons of artists, and he'd pop up in almost all of them. Oh, yeah, right? He's crazy. So prolific. So Sam... So Sam released 29 singles that charted in the top 40 of the Billboard uh, Pop Singles chart, as well as 20 singles in the top 10. So he would spend a lot of time right at the top, alternating with uh, Elvis at the time. You know, one and two would be them. Yeah. I know they shared a story. Um, He shared a story where he had some of his, you know, hometown friends and stuff over. And he was like, yeah, Elvis is going to come over later and meet all you. And and they were like, yeah, whatever. And they're like, sure, sure, bro. Sure he is. Sure, Elvis is coming over. The the dude shows up and they're like, holy shit, Sam done made it. (laughs) Fucking Elvis Presley just walked up in his house. What are we doing? Like, you know, that had to be like, that just had to be the the moment, the moment, dude, for his friends and everyone connected to him. I mean, if you you had any doubt that Sam Cooke was the real deal at that time, I mean, goddamn, number one and number two in the whole, whole world, really, at the time. Yep. We're friends. That's crazy. Yep. So he made an appearance on the Ed Sullivan show, then doing a show hosted by Dick Clark, even after threats from the KKK. So, yeah. I mean, it was not common for, you know, uh, you know, black person to be the guest on something like the Ed Sullivan show at the time. And clearly the Dick Clark show as well. Um, right. There was threats coming in. Dick Clark questioned whether they should go forward with it because he was worried for Sam's safety because there were so many threats from the KKK. But and the mob, Sam, dude. And the mob was fucking with him about that, yeah, too. Yeah, the mob as well. Even Sammy Davis Jr. Uh, called Sam and told him not to do this. He's like, you don't know who these guys are. You don't know who you're fucking with. Like, don't do this show. And he was like, man, fuck you. I'm doing a show. 
<laughs> I love it. Yeah, he did I it. I love it. I didn't and, know and this and about did. Sam Cooke. I didn't know that he was this type of person, man. I lo- it just makes me love him even more. Right. Yeah, he had big balls, man. For sure. Uh, he then moved to California, um, and in 1958, he would marry his second wife, Barbara Campbell, um, in Chicago. And his father performed the ceremony at their wedding. Together, they would have three children, Linda, Tracy, and Vincent. Vincent um, dying tragically at only a year old. Mm. We'll talk about that in a minute. It kind of changed uh, It changed Sam, obviously. Horrible as, accident. As losing a, a young child would. Yes. Um, Sam also fathered at least three children out of wedlock. He was he got around. He he, he liked women. Let's put it that well, way. Well, I mean that's typical for the for a musician of at course. that time. You know what I mean? Yeah. So did Elvis. So did Johnny Cash. You're on the road all you the time. There's like, women throwing themselves exactly. at you left and right. It is what it is. And then like the relationships that they're in, you know, those women aren't stupid. They know what the fuck's going on. They understand what they're signing up for. You know, yeah. it's just a diff- it's just it's a different world, man. Different relationships like that. Yeah. Um, in 1958, a woman in Philadelphia named Collie Balling claimed that Sam was the father of her son and he would allegedly pay her out $5,000 uh, in, in a settlement out of court, which was one week, one week's pay one for week's him pay. at the time. So like, <laughs> if he could just wipe his hands with that one. Right. She can live a year off that. <laughs> for a week's pay. Probably. Yeah. I mean, wh- whether it was or not, his kid is still, I mean, he may have just paid her that even if it wasn't his kid just to, you know, get it over with. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like you say, one week's pay, like, eh. Either way, I'm either way I'm setting this lady up and this kid. They can at least buy. That a being home. said, Sam, like, what, bro, when you're when you're out uh, adulterating uh, on the road and whatnot, put a condom on, dude. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? Right. Maybe quit raw dogging it on the road, man. That's it's generally not a good idea, STD wise, and also like you end up with a bunch of kids all over the place. <laughs> they weren't worried about that stuff in the '50s, man. I guess they didn't not. Care. <laughs> Um, so, so Sam would sign with RCA, uh, you know, the infamous record label, in January of 1960, having been offered a guaranteed $100,000 by $100,000 by the label's producers. One of RCA's uh, singles was "Chain Gain," which uh, reached number two on the Billboard Pop Chart, mm-hmm. and it was followed by more hits including "Sad Mood," "Cupid," "Bring It Home to Me," "Another Saturday Night," and "Twisting the Night Away." Nice. The "Chain Gain" song was was pretty controversial too. I mean, obviously he's talking about slavery. Right. Um, in a, in a big major pop song you're bringing to light stuff that's not uh supposed to be in the in the mainstream limelight like that yes yes isn't it interesting the way that they they first started doing that it's like when when we think of like political protest music we think of like rage against the machine you know shit like that mm-hmm. but in the 50s this is how it started you had to you had to give it to them in a way that they could accept it, in a way that that, that people could digest exactly it. the way people could digest it, the way that they could understand, and also you know, chain gang that that's a that's a bop right there. You put that shit on, you're like, okay, yeah, this is nice, yeah. this is nice, and then and then before you know it, you you're starting to hear the words. You're, you're like, wait, to, what's this about? <laughs> right. It reminds me of a song called "Strange Fruit" by Billie Holiday. Have you ever heard that song? Uh, no. She was a black artist around the same time. And she's singing a song called Strange Fruit, and it's obviously about lynching black people. And it's the way it's sung, it sounds like something you would listen to in like a nightclub, like a very nice nightclub where everyone's, you know, dressed to the tins and there's one woman on stage with a spotlight, and that was her. And she was singing these types of songs. And people were like, wait, what? Wait, what did she just say? You know? (laughs) And that's, it's just a great example of how they had to slide these things in. 
to history and to culture to yeah. get them out because these people had the foothold and not only uh, black American families, but also white American families too. So it, they felt like they would be heard, you know, and they were right. Yeah. They were, they were. Yeah. Yeah. You had to be sneakier about the message you were trying to get out. Exactly. There. Exactly. <clears throat> yeah. So another event occurs, um, in the fifth, in, in, to a successful black artist as well, J- Jesse Belvin um, was a, an American singer, pianist, and songwriter that was popular in the 1950s. And his success was cut short by his death in a car crash at the age of 27. Another member of the 27 Club. Oh, wow. I didn't um, even realize that. But, yeah. It would be later speculated that his tires in his vehicle had been slashed. Um, what is known uh, is that Belvin, his wife Joanne, and the driver of the car were involved in a, he- a horrific head-on collision in Hope, Arkansas on February 6, 1960, about four hours after the cedar- singer completed his concert in Little Rock. Belvin, who was 27 at the time, and the driver were died at, died at the scene. Joanne, his wife, t- 23, later died at the hospital. According to a report, one of the first straight state troopers investigated the accident said both of the rear tires of Belvin's black Cadillac had been tampered with. Other reports said the tires had been slashed. Mm. He had reportedly received six death death threats prior to the concert, which was uh, to be the first in the city with an integrated audience. So Arkansas, yeah. uh, 1960, he gets a bunch of threats. He leaves the show and in, you know has this accident. His tires seem to be tampered with. Right. The, show, the show itself had been stopped twice because of belligerent uh, white people angry at the idea of whites and blacks that were mingling together in a concert setting. And they kept shouting racial slurs and urging white teens to leave. Quote, from eyewitness accounts outside the concert, at least five young men were seen hovering near Jesse Belvin's and Jackie Wilson's vehicles. One person stated that the two men were trying to block the view of Belvin's car while another was underneath it. Mm. <clears throat> Following this, Sam refused to play segregated venues any longer. So it's just another thing that set him off and, you know, yeah, made him try to uh, change things. Absolutely. You can understand this. It's like one person is doing yeah. what he wants to do and then they immediately are found dead under suspicious circumstances. Yeah, this is just another thing. Along with Emmett Till, now he's carrying the weight of this as well. And this is just more fuel to his fire. Yep. He also begins to embrace his natural hair, displaying an afro on television, which was not common at the time, starting a trend for other black artists. So they they used to, you know, slick their hair back and things like that. Yeah. Think Sammy Davis Jr. That's who I always think about when I think of, or like Little Richard. Um, mm-hmm. You know the way that he used to style his hair, like really, yeah, slick back, almost, yeah, almost like fifties, like almost Elvis style. Yeah, yeah. Which I suppose was common for all artists at the time. Like the the slick back thing was just kind of the look. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But Sam Sam started displaying an afro on television, which you know was surprising to a lot of people, and it was a bold move. But a lot of the artists followed suit, and it became commonplace. Right on. Um, around this time, Sam commissioned Alan Klein, a well-known accountant in New York, to audit RCA and find out that uh, he wasn't making as much as he should from his hit songs. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> yeah. This Alan Klein character plays a big role in this case. He also, yeah, he does. you know, is uh, he worked with a lot of major artists like the Beatles and who else was it? They, the documentary talked about him. Uh, I think he, didn't he work with the Stones too? He worked with, possibly. he worked with quite a few people. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to see here. Let's pull him up on, on Wiki to see who all he worked with. Yeah, he worked with the Beatles, the Stones, Sam Cooke, 
Um, let's see, Bug, Bud, Buddy Knox, and Jimmy Bowen. Um, yeah, those are the biggest names. It looks like that he worked with there. He was a big part of the British yeah. invasion. You know what I'm saying? Like he, yeah, he was really trying to get new artists on the scene. He was scooping them up. He was good at finding new talent. That's for sure. Yeah, and you know, there's there's talk that he, you know, he had falling outs with some of these big bands for trying to kind of screw them over in a sense, gain ownership over their material. Mm-hmm. He does this to to Sam as well in a sneaky fashion. Sam finds out. Yep. Um, and there's talk that maybe Alan Klein could have had something to do with Sam's death later on. Man, it's not crazy. It's no. not crazy. So in 1961, Sam started his own record label, uh, Saw Records, with JW with JW Alexander and his manager Roy Crane. Sam then created a publishing imprint and management firm named Cags. Um, at this point, he gets more threats from the mob because you know they don't want you. They want you tied into the system because they can they can uh, cipher money out of it. You know when you're when you're attached to these record labels and things like that, they can bully them. And, mm-hmm bully the artists just like they do to the unions and things like that when you start your own stuff it it just cuts a lot of other people out of the of the money right at this time the mob was involved in anything lucrative and there was very few things more lucrative than the music and the music industry was very lucrative yes and it still is they're still robbing artists (laughs) i can pay them pennies on spotify and shit yeah Mm. around this time sam made some very powerful fellow uh um some some powerful friends in the black uh, community right. Muhammad Ali known as who was at the time going by Cassius Clay but would soon change his name to Muhammad mm-hmm. Ali um it, it became known that uh I guess Muhammad Ali's mom was a big fan of Sam and Sam sent his guy to over to Muhammad Ali's house and had him knock on the door and immediately had the door slammed on him until he, he screamed out Sam's name at which point Muhammad Ali's mom heard in the background yeah. and let him in <laughs> and they Muhammad Ali and Sam Cooke became very tight after that and were seen together a lot. They made an album together, yes. actually, uh, called I Am The Greatest. Yeah. They did a little snippet of it in the documentary. Muhammad Ali's not, not mm-hmm. bad. He's got a good voice. He's got a good voice. Yeah. Very smooth. And after the after winning the heavyweight title, he actually was – you can go back and look at the footage uh, in the ring when, you know, all the everybody crowds into the ring and he takes the microphone and he's calling Sam into the ring. Yeah. Uh, saying he's the best artist in the world at the time. Yeah, he's like, that's the best best rock and roll singer of all time right here. Let this man on stage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, Sam also makes contact and is seen in public with Malcolm X on multiple occasions, which put, which put him on the FBI's radar, who were already surveying uh, Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X at the time. So this this young black singer mm-hmm. getting in with them, they, that puts them on uh, – Puts him on J. Edgar Hoover and uh, the FBI's radar mm-hmm. as part of COINTELPRO, which we we brought up in the FBI commission or what was that the uh, the Citizens Commission to investigate the yes. FBI episode. We talked about COINTELPRO yes, quite a yes, bit we did. and some of the dirty the, the dirty stuff that the FBI used to do. Yep. Yep. And there's there's also you know talks that the FBI should have been should have gotten uh, involved in Sam's death and investigated it uh, if it was. Elvis or somebody like that that had been killed in the fashion that he was that they would have investigated and there's also talks that maybe the FBI had something to do with his death which is why they wouldn't investigate it yeah Muhammad Ali actually said that in an interview Mm -hmm. talking about how if he had basically if he had been a white entertainer this would have been investigated thoroughly yeah Mm. 
Tragedy struck for Sam in 1963 when his youngest child, Vincent, who was only one years old at the time, drowned in the family God, pool. This is heartbreaking right here. It's like a parent's Horrifying. worst nightmare, dude. Worst nightmare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you have if you have toddlers and a pool, definitely put a gator on that shit. Because it, all it takes is like two seconds of looking away. I know you think that you can keep your eye on them all the time, but it happens so fast. Right. And if they, it's just like one of the most tragic things. Yeah, it is. Um, this obviously affected Sam greatly. He plowed himself deeper into work as a means of coping with the pain. It, yeah, they they mentioned in the documentary that he just all he wanted to do was work after this. He didn't even like being home because the pool was in the front yard and he had to walk past the pool to go into the home. And of course, how could you I walk past that, that without house, immediately bro. being reminded of the you know the tragic situation? Yeah, yeah I'd be fucking out I'd of there. There was no way I would keep that nope. house, especially if I was Sam Cook. Especially, I mean, he's got all the money in the world <laughs> right. at the time. Like he doesn't. You just just get rid of that house. Man. Yeah, we gotta start over somewhere else. I'd, at first, I would I would first I would fill that pool in with concrete and then I would sell it. <laughs> well, the next person might want the pool. Lord. Yeah, well, that that pool's Too bad. cursed. Too bad. Yeah, yeah. I feel you. Uh-oh. That same year, Sam started a new record label called Tracy Unlimited. The name coming from his middle child, his daughter named Tracy. Not long after starting Tracy Unlimited, Sam got the flu and was stuck at home and had time on his hands to go through the fine print of his ownership contract, which he had written up with Alan Klein, the accountant from New York. Right. Um, So he's looking through, he's sick, he's got time, and he starts looking through the fine print of this ownership contract of Tracy Unlimited and finds out that there is a lack thereof of ownership on his part. And in fact, it's actually owned by Klein. Mm. Um, So Klein had screwed him over and in the fine print, you know, gave himself ownership of this company. Now, Sam planned to resolve this situation and confront there's there's talks that he had called Klein and had heated arguments with him about this, you know, contract yeah. in regards to Tracy Tracy Limited. And this leads up to the day of his death and it's suspicious timing. Isn't considering it though? that, you know, just days prior to his death, he's in this heated argument with this man about the ownership of his music and his right. company. And you're talking a lot of money at stake here. Oh yeah. Yeah, whoever has ownership of this is going to see the majority of the profits, obviously. So on December 10th, 1964, Sam Cooke met with his friend Al Schmidt, who is a legend in the music business himself, a sound engineer and record producer who has a laundry list of big stars that he's worked Mm -hmm. with. Um, And at the time, he was very good friends with Sam Cooke and, and, you know, basically produced his music with him. It was them in the studio together making making his hit songs. Right. And so on December 10th, 1964, Sam met with Al Schmidt at Martoni's in Los Angeles, which is like a bar restaurant. Right. Um, Al was there with his wife and Sam comes over, hangs, hangs out with him for a bit. And at some point during their you know, conversation, he breaks out a, a giant wad of cash out of his pocket that he had just made while touring. And um, Al Schmidt's telling him like, dude, put that away. That's not smart to be flashing that around in, in Los Angeles and in some club or whatever. Right. Like if someone sees you and he's like, yeah, whatever. Um, a little bit later, Al Schmidt and his wife leave, and they see that Sam is sitting at a bar with a woman that they don't recognize. Mm-hmm. Um, but which was not out of norm for Sam. You know, we talked; he liked the ladies, right. um, so they didn't think much of it. They left, and they would receive a call early that next morning that that their uh, their friend had been shot. Mm. So after Al and his wife left, they, you know, they see him sitting at the bar. The woman would turn out to be a woman named Lisa Boyer. Sam and Lisa would next make their way to Sam's hotel room at the Hacienda Motel in South Central Los Angeles. And that's where things would go haywire. There's, you know, yep. there, we mainly get Lisa Boyer's side of the story 
she's the one who lives through this and she was with him. She was the last person. Right. I guess not the last person to see alive, him alive because the person that shot him would be the last person to see him alive. But true, true. answering re- uh, separate reports of a shooting and a kidnapping at the motel, police find Sam Cook's body at the Hacienda Motel and he had sustained a gunshot wound to the chest, which was later determined to have pierced his heart. Mm. And the story is that the hotel's manager, Bertha Franklin, claimed to have shot him in self-defense. Her account was that uh, was immediately disputed by Cook's acquaintances, but she says that he in the middle of the night pound was pounding on her door, the manager's office door and actually kicked in the door and essentially attacked her, started grabbing her arms. She says she claimed to have bit him at one point. Right. And when she was able to get him off of her long enough to get to her gun, she, that's when she shot him in self-defense. So what had happened was Sam goes back to his hotel room, um, with this, this Lisa who turns out is a sex worker. Mm -hmm. Um, and in the room, she claims that, you know, on the stand, she claims that he was basically attempting to rape her. Right. Um, which is a bit odd. That, it's odd. Um, the fact it's, that it's out of character for him. Isn't, we've never heard reports of him being forceful on women or anything like right. that. And she's also a sex worker. And she may very well have seen him flashing that cash around, which that's my theories. Clearly, she was intending to rob him. Right. And it's, it's believed that she threw his pants with that wad of cash out the window to her either her pimp or someone that she worked with. Yeah, either way. Because the pants disappear and aren't seen yeah. again. Neither is the Either money. way, she took his pants and said that she did it on accident. Yeah. But come on. Yeah, she said, I accidentally grabbed his clothes instead of mine as she was running out. when he. Yeah. So supposedly he went to the bathroom, right, for mm-hmm. a minute, and then he was going to come back and do whatever to her. And she saw her opportunity, grabbed his pants, threw them out the window and on her way out, and then she calls the police from a payphone and says that she had been abducted and this man was trying to rape her. And, Meanwhile, oh man, and the phone call sounds so staged, though. To be fair, when oh, you yeah. listen to this, yeah, the audio is available. The audio of the phone call is available, and they also played the entire thing on the documentary on Netflix as well. But when you hear this phone yeah. call, you're like, "Wow, is she reading this off a piece of paper? Like she's not even that shook up. She's not even shook up about it." She's not yeah. even really stressed. And then she doesn't give a name. She hangs up before she gives a name. It's just the whole thing is super suspicious. Yeah, the motel's owner, Evelyn Carr, was actually on the phone with the woman that, uh, Franklin, that shot Sam Sam Cook um, during the confrontation. Mm-hmm. She said that she overheard Cook's intrusion and the ensuing conflict and gunshot, and she calls the police as well. So you have Lisa Boyer call the police from outside at a payphone, and you also have the owner of the... Uh, the hotel, which was on the phone and heard this whole thing and the gunshot go off and she calls the police as well. I wonder if that phone um, call was confirmed. The The call from the owner to the hotel manager during the confrontation, was that confirmed? I don't know. Because, I mean, if we can't confirm that, we got we got a lot of other questions. You know what I'm saying? Because that, mm-hmm. that little phone call right there really helps put a nail in the coffin because now you have two women, three women even, that are saying the same thing and it's all yeah. adding up. You know what I'm saying? It's just this circumstantial evidence of of witnesses. There's no there's no real evidence that this yeah. went down, but it just seems so convincing, doesn't it? Especially when someone's like, "Yeah, I was on the phone with her. I heard everything. It, it I heard the I heard Sam getting loud with her. I heard the struggle. I heard the gunshot. yeah. She supposedly heard she she heard the man in the in the background of the of the phone yeah. shouting, "Where's the girl?" In reference to you know, we would later find out uh, in reference to Elisa Boyer who had accompanied him to the hotel and had taken off with his money. Right, right. He's I mean, it all kind of makes sense, really. Like, you can see this thing happening. Like, the 
the you know Lisa Boyer intends to rob him. Mm-hmm. This happens all the time in places like downtown Los Angeles. You know, someone's flashing money, right? And you know, a sex worker sees it and lets maybe her pimp or whoever know that I'm gonna I'm gonna rip this person off. Yep. And they they plan this thing. You know, they have him wait outside the hotel. And she throws the pants out the window and, and tries to get out of there. So you think successfully it- climbs out the window, and then you get Sam pissed off and looking for her. He's con- for whatever reason supposedly he was convinced that she ran into the manager's office, and that's why he kicks down that door looking for her. Right. He's not looking for her. He's looking for that fucking wad of cash. Like you can understand exactly. That. I he mean, care less about her. He wants uh, his money back. One of the people in the dock, I think it was the record producer's wife who was there with him that night. She said that he had like five thousand dollars. So, I mean, he's got a week's worth of income in his pocket. Yeah. And yeah, he's going to be fucking pissed looking for her. Like, yep. yeah, that part that part adds up. That part adds yep. up for sure. But there's so many things I have questions about. Yeah, so according to Franklin, she grappled with Cook. Um, the two of them fell to the floor. Then she got up and ran to retrieve her gun. She said she fired at Cook in self-defense because she feared for her life. Um, Sam was struck once in the torso. According to Franklin, he, cl- he exclaimed, lady, you shot me in a tone that expressed perplexity rather than anger before advancing on her again. Mm. She said she hit him in the head with a broomstick before he finally fell to the floor and died. A coroner's inquest was con- uh, was convened to investigate the incident. Um, Lisa Boyer told the police that she had first met Cook earlier that night and had spent the evening in his company. She said that after they left the, the nightclub together, she had repeatedly uh, requested that he take her home, but instead he took her against her will to the Hacienda Motel. Mm-hmm. She said that once inside the room, um, Cook physically forced her onto the bed, then stripped her of her panties. She said that she was sure that she was he was going to rape her. Cook allows her, allowed her to use the bathroom for which she attempted to es- an escape, but found that the window was firmly shut. According to Lisa, she returned to the main room where Cook continued to molest her. When he went to use the bathroom, she quickly grabbed her clothes and ran from the room. She said that in her haste, she also scooped up most of Cook's clothing by mistake. Sure. Right? It's just, oh, it's so fishy, dude. She said she first ran to the manager's office and knocked on the door seeking help. However, she said that the manager took too long to respond, so fearing Cook, she would uh, would soon be coming after her. She fled the motel um, before the manager opened the door. So that's why that might be why Sam thought that she was in the manager's exactly. room because he heard her pounding on that manager door. Absolutely, sense. and then he heard the pounding stop, so he assumed that she mm-hmm. let her in, that the manager let yeah. the girl in. Yeah, and then the manager's not letting him in. Right, in his mind, he's thinking she's t- protecting her or whatever. Yeah. And she, meanwhile, she's got his five grand. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You could see how this could play out like this. It's just yeah. the reasons all this happened that doesn't add up. <laughs> It's like the story. What do you mean by that? Yeah. What do you mean by uh, the the reason doesn't add up? To me, the reason, the the whole motive was robbery, and then it just spiraled out of control for there. No, I'm talking about the reasons in which Sam reacted. Like like she's saying, the reason they're in the hotel room is because he wanted to rape her. The reason reason that she left is because he wouldn't stop advancing. Then why did he let her go to the bathroom, and why the hell did he go Mm -hmm. to the bathroom? Like, Mm -hmm. it seems like he's really taking his time with this rape. I don't don't get that, dude. Like, I don't mean to be, like, super blunt, but... That just don't add up. I feel like robbery. No, I don't was, think. I don't. I don't think there's a person alive that believes her story. She was when planted. You, when you hear the way she tells it, yeah, it was clearly a planned. She was pla- Robbery. Yes, she was planted at the club. Even in my opinion. Yeah. I don't know 100%. by who, but she was planted at that club. This was all. This was all. All planned. All this shit. He was supposed to meet her that night. They knew he had. I think the money was just extra. That was just like, well, we we know we're gonna kill him tonight, anyways. Or something's going to happen to him. So, 
you know, we're going to take the money yeah, so, anyways. So Lisa's story is the only account of what happened between her and Cook that night, and her story has long been called into question. Inconsistencies between her version of events and details reported by diners at Martoni's restaurant, where Cook dined and drank earlier that evening, suggest that Boyer may have gone willingly into the motel with Cook, then slipped out of the room with his clothing to rob him rather than an escape and escaping an attempt, attempted rape. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Sam would, uh, was reportedly carrying a large amount of money, as we talked about, um, however, a search of Boyer, Boyer's purse by police revealed nothing except a $20 bill, and a search of Cook's Ferrari found only a money clip with $108 and a few loose coins. So that $5,000 wad of cash is gone. Yep. Which leads you to believe that she had, you know, someone working with her. Absolutely. Well, you can't, you know, during the investigation, you can't be found with that money on you because then it's a no-brainer. No. You know what I mean? Yeah, so she had to She had to pass Not that only that, money. you're not going to get it back if, if they confiscate it. Oh, yeah. As part of a murder investigation. Oh, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. However, questions about Boyer's role were beyond the scope of an inquest, the purpose of which was only to establish the circumstances of Franklin's role in the shooting. Um, and, you know, the police would ultimately close the case with very little further investigation and, and rule it a uh, justified homicide as basically self-defense. Mm. And that's it. And then the coroner, what did they, they accept? They, they just accepted all that because he did have three gunshot wounds right so as far as the coroner's concerned they're like yeah you know he died of a gunshot wound to the chest i mean all that adds up yeah but it's like was was the hotel manager in on it too that's where i'm that's where i i I pause it's like i don't I'm, i'm totally in on the fact that this could have been a conspiracy that you know the music industry he's he's trying to make all of his own bones in the music and he's starting his own his, his own record label and all that stuff. Right. And he's now he's cutting out the guy that he was working with that, that tried to steal ownership of his company. That guy had certainly has motive to try and take out Sam. If, 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 uh, Sam's going to get full ownership of that. And he thought he had that. Right. There's motive there. There's motive on the part of, of the music industry in general. There's motive on the, you know, on the part of the FBI, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, an outspoken black man who's, who's using his platform to, you know, talk about the wrongdoings and a lot of the issues in the country at the time. Yeah. There's motive there. My only uh, pause here as far as the conspiracy of this being a, a hit is the manager, like the manager's office. Now there's talks that, um, you know, the woman that shot him was supposedly attached to the mob. I just don't, but I didn't see any actual like evidence of that. It's just like, is that just hearsay? Well, what if it's easy to just put that out there and then it gets parroted or the mob where's the proof? was already contracted with her to protect that business. And maybe yeah. they they contacted her and was well, like, "That's quite Look. an elaborate scheme, though." Like, so how did they know for sure it, that Sam was going to go pound on that manager door and kick down the door? Because like, they told the girl to go and go into that room or bang on that door. You know what I'm saying? Like, it could be planned, and that is just the type of elaborate scheme you would need to kill a superstar like Sam Cook and get away with it. You you need something like that. You need all these plausibles, and. Dare I say, you need a black person to pull the trigger. And that hotel manager was a black person. Mm. You see what I'm saying? That's pretty. That's a pretty elaborate hit. That's all I'm saying. That seems a bit far-fetched to know that he was going to go knock down that door of the manager's office like just because she went and knocked on it like he they knew that he would assume that she was in there like what if he comes out right as she's running away from the manager door and he just chases her down there like I I don't know man it seems like it's 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 too elaborate too. It, it, there's too many ways for that, that plan to go wrong. I don't, True. it just worked out too perfectly for that to have been planned. I think it was definitely, uh, you know, a planned robbery 
I think that Lisa Boyer for sure planned to rob him, but I don't know if she was commissioned there by higher powers, you know, someone in the mob, yeah, someone maybe, in the FBI, whatever. Maybe, the, maybe they planned to rob him, and then she was still going to go to the police and just try to kind of ruin his reputation, reputation. right? By saying, oh, Sam Cook tried to rape me in a hotel room. And this and that, yeah. right? And then that that makes more sense to me. That would that makes more sense. Yeah, that and that would be very detrimental to him at the time. Obviously, sure. he's really gaining ground. Um, but it's just the timing, though, man. Right after he finds out that his his contract is messed up, he's finding out he's not the owner of his own company, and then and he's tried to make contact with Alan Klein as well, and then he ends up dead. Yep. It's just like I don't know, man. It just it just sounds so fishy. If but if, you think uh, Lisa Boyer had shot him in self defense, I would say one hundred percent this was a, a you know a hit that was planned by someone higher up than her. You know whether it was Alan Klein or some someone in the music industry. Who I would say one hundred percent. But the fact that the way it went down, the way it went down with the manager, him breaking down the door and yeah. she killing him, like. That's just well, that's hard for me to accept that they planned it that way. Well, not if they planned not if they planned to go to that hotel. You know what I mean? If they planned to go to that hotel. Like I know she says, "Oh, I wanted him to take me home and stuff." Well, then why'd you even get in the car with him? What? You know who he is. You know what he you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? You know what you do for a living. Why did you even go with him from the party? And it's like I don't know. There was just no talk about taking her home, in my opinion. She she probably recommended the hotel, and if if and indeed she did recommend the hotel, well, no, he had already checked into that hotel earlier that day. So oh well, that's even more. He, so he, they knew he where he was. He suggested that hotel. Yeah, they knew where he was. Yeah, they did. See what I'm saying, man? I don't know. It, it could be planned. It could absolutely be planned. And that manager is the perfect person to take the fall. An older an older black woman. Kills him in self defense. I won't rule it out as a possibility. I just think it's it would be hard to make that work so perfectly. You know, the timing of everything with Lisa leaving, pounding on the door, and how did they know that he wasn't going to come out while she was, like I said, going from the manager door out the out the hallway and out of the the hotel altogether? Like, it could have been that timing had to work out perfectly. Well, they could have planned, you know, something else. Like they they gave the manager the gun or whatever, and they're like, look. He's going to come out, he's going to be angry at her, and you're going to have to defend her with this gun. That's what's going to happen. We don't know how it's going to play out, but it played out even better because he came right to her. Instead of her coming out and catching them arguing on the on the uh, you know, the balcony or whatever. Cuz I'm imagining it was that type of hotel, I guess, where they had like exterior doors for each room, you know what I'm saying? I don't see why they wouldn't have just just had Lisa shoot him and say that he was raping her. That would have worked out just fine. Because that's... They didn't need to go uh, to these lengths. But if you do that, then it is... Then you have to investigate it. It's like, who is this Lisa person? Why did this happen? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's... I don't know. I know. I I see what you're saying. I'm not... I'm not 100% on anything. Uh, I totally see what you're saying. But I'm... But I'm just saying, if you're trying to kill someone of this status and this type of influence that shit better look like a damn accident. And I just yeah. I just don't put it past people, man. With all the people that were tied into this, and you had the mob that threatened them as well, you had all this money on the table for the record dealers. It's like more creative hits have happened. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Way more. Way more creative. So, I don't know, man. It's the timing. I just can't get over the timing. It's just too perfect. Yeah. It's too perfect. The very day he finds out he's being done wrong, 
and he's gone. Well, supposedly Boyer and Franklin would both pass polygraph tests. The coroner's jury ultimately accepted Franklin's explanation and and returned a verdict of justifiable homicide. And with that verdict, authorities officially closed the case on Cook's death. Some of uh, Sam's family and supporters, however, have rejected Boyer's version of events as well as those given by Franklin and Carr. They believe that there was a conspiracy to murder Cook and that the murder took place in some manner entirely different from the three official accounts. There's also that possibility that it didn't actually even go down the way that it supposedly went down exactly you know? exactly i mean what if the man what if the managers like the manager let him in and shot him and then they had someone kick down the door afterwards or you know make the scene look the way it needed to look exactly that's, that's a possibility what i'm saying too. dude we're all just going by word of mouth and the fact that they you know passed polygraphs that don't mean nothing they already had this shit planned they've said this stuff over and over and over in their head you know, if it was set up. And it's also, isn't it, now that you think about it, isn't it kind of convenient that his room happened to be right next to the manager's door? Mm, that is pretty convenient. It's like, did they put him in that room specifically for a reason? Mm, that's what I'm saying. And, you know, <laughs> the mob, they had connections to these big businesses. And if this is a lucrative hotel in L.A., you don't think the mob already has their fingers in this for protection or yeah, for course, whatever course they're they offering? Like they're watching him, man. They, he done went on the uh, Ed Sullivan show and Dick Clark show, and they, they, he ignored all of their warnings for all that shit. They were watching him. They were seriously watching him. Yeah, and on the lack, on the perceived lack of an investigation, Sam's close friend Muhammad Ali said, "Quote: If Cook had been Frank Sinatra, the Beatles, or Ricky Nelson, the FBI would be investigating." Yep. And singer Etta James viewed Cook's body after before his uh, funeral and questioned the accuracy of the official version of events. She wrote that the injuries she observed were well beyond the official account of Cook having fought Franklin alone. Mm. Um, she wrote that Cook was so badly beaten that his head was nearly separated from his shoulders. His hands were broken and crushed. His nose was mangled. Yeah, how does hands get broken and crushed, man? That don't make no That's sense. Crazy. I don't know about that. Um, he got yeah that is odd mm. that is odd that he that his body was so beaten up if it was just him fighting with this female manager and her shooting him i mean she did mention hitting him with a broomstick but that's not going to do that kind of damage and what 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 happened to his hands it sure as hell ain't going to nearly decapitate him that's for sure no yeah something something is something just don't add up man something ain't right so, about so that some have spe- some have speculated that his manager alan klein had a role in his death Klein owned Tracy Limited, which ultimately uh, owned all the rights to Cook's recordings, mm. which he had recently found out and, and uh, um, confronted him about and wanted to regain his ownership of his own record label. Yep. Um, however, no concrete evidence supporting a criminal conspiracy has been presented. Um, and that's that. I mean, it's it's the case has just gotten older and older, and a lot of people attached to this are either dead or in their 80s, 90s. Yeah. And we'll probably never know the truth of what actually happened, unfortunately. And that's the way the documentary ends. And it's like, what? <laughs> that's all? Yeah. That's it? Yeah, I will say the documentary, it's 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 well done, but it's more of a historical like biography on on Sam Cooke than it is like a, a murder doc. Well, it's, it's it has like to five be. minutes at the end there's nothing covers about, the murder. And that's there's that. nothing about the murder, hardly. And then they accepted everybody's confession as just as truth. It's just cut and dry. So yeah. what else can you do with it? There's not, you, I was wondering, I was just like, cause I read, you know, a brief summary about his, his death and his career and how it happened before I watched the documentary. And I'm like, how are they going to stretch this into an hour plus? Like, I don't, mm-hmm. 
but it made sense that and, and but it was cool though you you needed to know that you needed to know his roots and the way he came up and how influential he became and how quickly uh he became that way and uh, the people that he was connected with and how powerful he was all that was important you know to even yeah. give credit to the conspiracy so i understand that yeah well, a month after his death, the single A Change Is Gonna Come was released and is considered a classic protest song from the era of the civil rights movement. It's a fantastic song and, and invokes emotion when you listen to it and you think about all the different meanings that it could have. Yes. You know, and the different ways that you could you could interpret that song. Mm-hmm. A Change Is Gonna Come. That's uh, my favorite, man. Yeah, it's a great song. Um, and, and since then he's, you know, his, uh, legacy has been solidified in 1986. He was inducted as a charter member of the rock and roll hall of fame. Then in 87, he was inducted into the songwriters hall of fame In 89. He was inducted a second time into the rock and roll hall of fame when the soul stirs were inducted <laughs> in February of 1994. He received a star on the Hollywood walk of fame for his contributions to the music industry located, located on 7051 Hollywood Boulevard. Nice. In 2004, Rolling Stone ranked Cook 16th on its list of all uh, list of the 100 greatest artists of all time. So the top 20 mm. of the greatest artists of all time, according to Rolling Stone. And in 2008, he was named the fourth greatest singer singer of all time by Rolling Stone. Man, I'd like to see that list. And <laughs> yeah, and he's also been inducted into his home state, Mississippi's Musicians Hall of Fame as well. Right on. So, you know, heroes get remembered, but legends never die. So that's right. Yes, he was taken too soon, but he's you know still a legend, and his songs will live on forever. Absolutely, and dude. those will all there will always be people that question the manner of his death and whether it was a planned hit and a murder rather than a justifiable homicide, like it was ruled. Mm-hmm. So, so you think? What do you think, man? If you had to, if you had to call it. What do you, what are you thinking at the end of this? <sighs> you think it's. I, I think it was a plan. I think it was definitely a planned robbery. Mm-hmm. So you think they? I don't know, man. It's just hard. It's really hard for me to imagine that they planned it so perfectly that. But the more I think about it, it's like it could have just not gone down the way that they claimed exactly, it went down. They could have, like I said, they could. The manager could have let him in, shot him, yes. and then they could have easily staged it as though he broke in there and it's attacked just, her. It's hard for me to get get past all those post mortem wounds. They could have had. They could have had a couple of men from the mob or whatever waiting in that manager office, and and you know beat him beat him and bludgeoned him and shot him in there absolutely made an example out of him and then they you know they one of them kicks down the door afterwards and they say he kicked it in and attacked her because look okay so it's a small office right he goes into the office and then he doesn't see the girl that stole from him why does he fight with this woman that's a good question that is a very good question i mean he's naked from like he's wearing a jacket and that's it like you got time to waste fighting with this one why fight with her Either she knows or she mm-hmm. don't. Like, I, I don't know. I didn't even think about that. You're so right. Like, why, once he gets in there and he sees that she's not in there, why is he continuing to fight with her and say, where is she? Like, yeah, that's definitely bizarre. Right. She's gone, dude. You need to go out, get some clothes, and go find her or some shit. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I think that was all a trap. I think she banged on that door to get him to go to that door, and when he went in that room, there was something else waiting for him. Yeah, it's 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 definitely fishy, man. Yeah, it's hard to remove that the thought that it, it could have been a tied to the mob or the music industry. What sucks? There's so many people that would have liked to have him gone, you know? Yeah. And what sucks is like everybody who's connected to this or knows anything is, is most likely dead or in, like you said earlier, probably yeah. in their eighties, right? Seventies, eighties. Yep. So it's, I mean, this happened in what? 62. 
Yeah. And we're talking 60 plus years ago. And the people that were involved were already in their 20s or 30s right. then. So That's what I'm saying. It's just the probability of this ever really being solved, really coming to light is just zero to none. It's not gonna yeah. it's not gonna happen, unfortunately. But but at least we right. got to cover it and remember this great artist in this way though. I thought this was something cool, man, Absolutely. something a little different that we could do this week. Yeah. So Well, why don't you try something a little different in your armpits? Yeah, you should. Like what? Like Oh My Gaia? Is that what you're talking about, Lauren? Oh My Gaia. Oh, okay. Try an all-natural deodorant and beard oil company. That's right. Specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. At Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural paraben and aluminum-free organic ingredients. And guys, there's tons of scents to choose from. I just got me a new order of uh, Egyptian musk. I got me some Sailor. I got me some Fireside. Uh, my wife got some sweet pea as well as, uh, she also likes sailor too. We both enjoy that scent. Also got me some scented oil as well. Um, and because you guys are true crime guys, listeners, you can go to ohmygaia.com and you can get 15% off your order by using the code word creeper. That's C R E E P E R for 15% off your order. And you can do that at shop underscore. Oh my Gaia on Instagram or ohmygaia.com. Again, guys, that's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com for 15% off your order. Guys, you won't regret it. There's no aluminum, no uh, paraben, none of that shit. Don't put that stuff in your armpits anymore. Put the all-natural stuff in there. And the scented oil also works great as a as a light cologne or perfume. That's the way I like to use it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really nice because it's a, it's a nice scent. You smell good, but you're not overpowering a room. You know what I mean? Some mm-hmm. people just, they go overboard <clears throat> with it. But with these scented oils, it's a, nice, it's a nice scent that people who are close to you can enjoy. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I really, I really think it's very tasteful. Much like and speaking of CBD. Speaking of natural oils, natural oils, we got the best natural oils out there for you. With, we do. Uh, our, other, our other weekly sponsor, Tonic. Which we just got a care package, man. It it just honestly CBD is a lifesaver for me. It, it just keeps my mood so even keel. I don't have the ups and downs. Right. That's just my personal attestment to it. And this is the highest quality CBD. Um, it's true. Not all CBD products are created equal. From the, how the hemp is grown and processed, and how it's formulated and delivered into your body, every step of the process that goes into making the product affects your ultimate experience with it. That's why Tonic's products really stand out. Founder Brittany Carbone created her own original formulas using CBD, adaptogens, herbs, and superfoods back in 2017 and has been working to deliver the most effective, intentional, and sustainable products possible. Tonic Craft cultivates their own hemp from certified organic family farm in upstate New York. That hemp travels only 30 minutes to their state-of-the-art manufacturing and distribution facility where it is turned into a finished product and sent to you, ensuring only the highest quality vibes at every stage of the process. Tonics farm-to-bottle CBD plus botanical blends are uniquely formulated to provide targeted support where you need it most. Each and every high-quality ingredient is thoughtfully selected for its ability to support and enhance the benefits of CBD, resulting in a more effective, well-rounded, and consistent wellness solution for the mind and body. They have a bunch of different blends depending on your needs, but Chill Tonic has been one of my favorites for anxiety. Mm -hmm. It has ashwagandha, lemon balm, and passion flower to deliver a super calming effect, but it's also really cool that they use black seed oil in a lot of their blends as well. Black seed oil, if you don't know, is an antioxidant powerhouse, and it's great for your immune system, but it also really just scratches the surface of what superfood can do, so it's really cool to see it's combined 
with CBD like this. Um, so yeah, they have all different blends. Um, I'm looking right now on their website. We just got to send a package with chill, OG flex and grounded. They all have different, uh, purposes and you know, you can take, you can kind of find what works for you, mm -hmm. what time of day to, to take each blend. Um, but there's more than just, uh, tinctures. There's many different products. They have skin care, skincare, topicals, multi-packs, vape pens, which I, I love the vape pen as well. Just like you, you feel a little bit anxious. You can just uh, take a rip off that. Mm -hmm. They also have flour, CBD edibles, pet health. So even if, you know, if your pet struggles with seizures and things like that, there's a lot of, uh, studies that show that CBD helps a lot with seizures in animals. Right. Um, and with just pain, if they, you know, maybe they're getting old and their joints hurt, you know, CBD can help them with that chronic pain issue. Absolutely. Um, so there's so many, so many different uses for CBD. I can't recommend it enough. And the best part is if you go to tonicvibes.com, you can learn more and you can use the code word creeper for 20% off your order. That's tonicvibes.com code word creeper at checkout for 20% off. Damn. And as always, guys, everything is linked below the description of this page. Look right below the description. You'll see links to Oh My Gaia and Tonic CBD. Yeah. Yeah. If you can all at all benefit from these, which I'm sure you can, mm -hmm. it, you know, we, we love when you support our small business supporters of our show here Absolutely. in Oh My Gaia and Tonic. If you, you know, if you're going to support anything that we, we, we put out there, you know, that's one of the best ways to do so. And you, you benefit as well, but also a great way to support and get more content from our show mm -hmm. is Patreon, patreon.com slash true crime guys, two bucks a month, get you access to our once a month Patreon exclusive episode that we just did last week. Right. Um, we recovered the West Memphis three case, uh, from the perspective of them being guilty. Since there are so many people out there that still believe they're guilty, we right. wanted to, you know, really dive in and give it a go and see what, what their arguments were. I will say one thing. We weren't all that impressed with their arguments, but we nonetheless just, we you know, tried. explored those ideas for an hour, uh, an yeah. hour and a half. I believe we, we talked about it at least. Yeah. It, yeah. it was interesting. It was, it was very tough to stay uh, guilty biased. It was very tough, but it was, very but it tough was for me specifically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I made it about halfway through the show. I think you made it like to the intro. Michael was trying to play bad cop and, yeah. and, 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 you know, I just couldn't do it. I'm like, they're not fucking guilty. You're just good copping the shit out of me. But yeah, yeah, guys, you can find that plus 50 something other Patreon exclusives on Patreon right now on the $2 tier. But if you really want a deal, you got to look at that $5 tier, especially in March. As of March 16th, the $5 tier on True Crime Guys will include all of our content, all of our shows under TCG Productions. We are um, combining both Patreons. So this, the patreon.com slash podcast. if you're still on that Patreon, that's okay. It will remain up for a while. But we're hoping that eventually everybody will just move over to the True Crime Guys Patreon and everything will be under one umbrella. And on that $5 tier, you will get access to not only the True Crime Guys Patreon exclusive every month, but you'll have access to Just the Banter every Friday, Strange Shorts, uh, which is a Sandu show we do every single Monday, Sandu Stories every single month, Higher Thoughts will be sprinkled in, and last but not least, oh, also on, on March 16th, if you have not been a patron of uh, Strange and Unexplained, there will be over 80 Patreon-exclusive episodes available on that day at uh, 12 a.m. on March 16th, uh, your Patreon might blow up because we're going to drop over 80 episodes <laughs> all at once and it's going to be insane. Uh, but that's on the $5 tier. 
But last but not least, think about how lucky the current five dollar patrons are right now. Oh, I know, right? All of a sudden, they're not going to have to change anything. They're not they're changing anything. Doing what they were doing, and they're going to all of a sudden get ten times the content they were getting. Right? It's it's insane. So our goal is to release content almost every other day, which we're pretty damn close to that now. Um, yeah. With the addition of the five minute murder show, Lauren, do you want to talk about that? Introducing? Yeah, uh, I've always wanted to add a video element to our to our content, at least one show, and. Mm-hmm. I'm no video editing expert, so I figured I would do a five-minute murder show where you see me, I, I tell the story, mm-hmm. I add in some pictures and stuff from the case and things like that, and it's it's one murder case all wrapped up into a neat little five-minute uh, five-minute bow, mm-hmm. and you know you you get to see me do it. So uh, we'll see. I got the first episode that I'm in the middle of creating, so hopefully that'll be up soon, and hopefully I can get into a rhythm with it where it doesn't kill me trying to get that out every week. But I, my, my intention is to do it, you know, put, put out one of those every week and hopefully I get into a rhythm with it to where it gets, you know, easier for me to do. Right. And on. doesn't mess with any of the other shows that we do. That's, that's always my thing is like true crime guys is always number one. We always said that has to be our number one focus. That's right. our bread and butter. That's what's gotten us to where we are. That's why you guys know who we are and all that stuff. Absolutely. But we can always work hard and, and add more content as long as it doesn't mess with our bread and butter as well. So yeah, exactly. we're trying to give you guys as much content as we possibly can we're trying for to make a reasonable the, price. And in today's yeah. inflationary era, $5 a month ain't shit. And you That's can, nothing. especially when you consider that at that $5 tier, you'll get almost a, a new piece of content almost every day of the week. That's, that's right. where we're getting to is like, you'll almost have a new episode of something every single day. Exactly. And then, and you know, and that's when you get caught up. I mean, most of most of our patrons yeah. now and new and new patrons will have to get caught up on all the content that's there. I mean, if if you've never been a patron of True Crime Guys, I mean, there's already hundreds of of Patreon exclusive episodes available right now. I know it's hard to believe, but you might actually get sick of us. That's how much content there will be when yeah. you <laughs> sign up. <laughs> you might have to take a break from us for a minute, which is fine. That's fine. Yeah. We're just trying to make it a no brainer. You know, we're trying to make that no brainer tier. That five dollar. Yeah. It's just like, damn, it's five dollars, right? It's less than your Starbucks coffee now. Yeah, and you can still pay that up front too, fifty four bucks for a year and then you'll be done yeah. in twelve months. Absolutely. So, and you save ten percent by doing that. That's right. So guys, keep your eyes peeled. March sixteenth is when it happens. And like we said, if you're on any of our other Patreon tiers, if you're on Sandu Patreon, not a big deal. We're if you want to stay there, that's fine. We'll we'll keep that up and running. And I will continue to upload there, uh, you know, Sandu content. I will continue to upload there for a little while. Um, but I'm hoping eventually everyone will just move to the $5 tier on, yeah. on True Crime Guys. That would just be easier. And, of course, we have the $10 tier available as well. And the only extra content there is, well, you know, you get the extra satisfaction of really helping us, really supporting the show. Uh, but also you get on our monthly Zoom call. We have a Zoom call somewhere towards the end of the month, every month, and you can come on, talk to us, ask questions, and we just kind of hang out for a little while. So that's yep. at the $10 level. But that $5 Which level- Which we truly enjoy as well. We get to know, we've gotten to know several of our patrons that jump into that. We, we end up a lot of times with the same group of people, which is cool because like we, we feel like we're like friends with the group of the, the, the creeps that we uh, discuss, you know, we have conversations with once right. a month. Right. It's like we're so. checking in with everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Just checking in on you. Checking in on you. <laughs> All right. Billy. Billy Red Bulls. Yeah. 
gotta love some Bill right. Burr, man. We ain't thrown none of that in in a while. Yeah. That being said, if you're if you're still uh, you know a freeloader and you just enjoy the the three episodes a month you get on our uh, our our feeds, you know whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts or mm-hmm. Stitcher or Spotify, whatever it is, we we love you all the same. And you don't ever have to pay anything if you don't want to. You'll still get those three free episodes a month. Absolutely. Um, and if you want to stay on the two dollar tier on Patreon, you'll still get the you'll get all of our True Crime Guys episodes. You know, you won't get just the banter and the, the extra content, but maybe you're cool with that, and that's fine as well. Every, you're not going to have to change anything if you don't want to. That's that's where we're making it seamless for anybody. If you want to stay two dollar tier, if you want to stay on Sandu's Patreon, we're not going to force you to do anything. That's not right. what we're about. Um, but we're just offering far more content at $5 just to make it easy for everybody. And uh, I think that's enough babbling about all of that. I agree. Let's, let's, let's put an end to this. We hope you all have a great week. Thanks for listening. Keep creeping. Keep creeping, guys. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder, get murder, get murder. True crime guys in the desert. We like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder charming. You hush your mouth, boy.